All right, well, let's again turn our attentions toward the Word of God where we need it to be for the next several minutes. I want to read to you verses 3 through 13. Normally I'd have you stand, but we've been standing and sitting already, so you can just remain seated. But after I read, we will turn to the Lord in prayer. Romans 12, verse 3. And let me remind you that this is His Word. This is not mine. For through the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Let's pray. Father, again, we come to you in prayer. And Father, I'm thankful for this body that we are continually becoming more and more so a people of prayer. But Father, we have come to a very high and holy time. We have heard you speak now. These are your very words, and who are we to be able to hear the words of God? Father, we praise you for that, and we will forever be thankful for that, for it was your words that created everything, and it was your word through the gospel that has given us life. And your word is unshakable and immovable, and as we stand as the church stands on your word, so are we, unshakable, immovable, waiting for the return of our Savior. So, Father, as we open our hearts up to the instruction of the word, I pray that we'd be mindful that this is apostolic teaching. This has authority over our lives. It is not to be argued with or debated. It is simply to be received with faith. And I pray, Father, that we would do just that, that we would humble ourselves and hear the Word of God and allow it to make us more like Jesus Christ, our King and our Savior. Father, have your work. Do as you will. Do as you please with our lives. And we will praise you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now this morning we're continuing to look at what true worship really is. And it is not hard 
the more and more I look at this and go through this, I understand just how painfully simple this is. Anyone could understand it, even if they just came to faith a month ago, or even if they're a child. These are simple words to understand, and we can all take hold of these and make these a part of our lives. But I don't want you to misunderstand this. When we talk about worship, and we did for so many weeks, I just read to you what it looks like to truly worship God with your life. That's it. Again, it's not hard. But the reason that we can do these things is because the gospel has changed everything about us. We are not the same. Jesus' words, you must be born again. And if you're in Christ, you certainly have been born again. You were raised from death to life. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. You're new. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And you need to lay a hold of that reality. Because of the gospel, you have been born again. And because of the gospel, there's been some wonderful things that have taken place in your life. And the first of those things is, you've been made one with your Savior. And of course, the great illustration of that is marriage. We are made one with our spouse through that covenant of marriage. And through the gospel, you and I have been made one with Christ. And you need to lay a hold of that reality. But because we've been made one with Christ, we've been made one with the Father. The one who created the heavens and the earth. You are now uniquely bonded to Him for all of eternity. Because marriage is, is until death do you part, right? Well, in the kingdom of heaven, there is no death. And so you and I have forever been made one with the Son and one with the Father. But it even extends beyond that because we've been made one with each other. And that should kind of make us drop our heads just a little bit because we do not take seriously enough the unity that we have as the body of Christ. We have literally been bound each to one another for all of eternity. You women are forever my sister in Christ and you men forever my brothers in Christ. And that will always be. We are the children of God and we are the family of God. And even those we struggled in this lifetime to get along with so much, when we get to glory, it won't be a struggle anymore. We will enjoy our oneness in Jesus forever and ever and ever. Now, also... Let me go one step further this morning. But for now, as we await the return of our Savior, the Spirit of God has also done something very unique through the Gospel, and that is to equip you to be a necessary part of this body, to equip you to help this body mature in their faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. You are all necessary and you are all gifted in this body of Christ. And we talked about this last week. I abandoned my notes, so I may say something I said last week. I just wanted to get that truth to let you take a hold of it and begin to ponder the wonder of that. Everybody in here is necessary. From the babies that you hear crying, they are necessary according to the will of God for our good as a body. From the youngest to the oldest, from the loudest to the quietest, to the most extroverted to the most introverted, everyone in this body is a necessary a component of this body and gifted to be so. But before we can get to the gifts, 
you got to understand the grace. Because if you don't understand the grace, you're not going to be able to use the gift. Because it's entirely a product of God's grace. I was thinking about this this morning. He, he did not look throughout the scope of Macedonia and beyond and from wherever y'all come and go, you know what, oh Landon, he's a four star. If we could just get Landon in the faith, my, 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 how he would contribute to this church. That is not what God did. And we say statements like that all the time, especially in regard to athletes and music stars and movie stars. Boy, if they could just get saved, they would be so useful to the body of Christ. That's baloney. They are not useful for the body of Christ because many of them are too concerned about their name rather than the only name under heaven. God didn't save you because He thought you would be useful. God saved you because you're useless and He made you useful through the work of the Holy Spirit only. And Paul uses himself as an example for you to understand this. Look at Romans 12, look at verse 3. I want you to notice this. Notice the very first word before he ever even gets into the gift. He says, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. Paul says, I can't even speak to y'all if it were not for the grace of God. Because my words are meaningless. It is only His words that are meaningful and I bring His words to you. So it's through the grace that I say to everyone among you. I want you to head off to the book of Ephesians because I want you to see how this plays out in all of our lives. Go to Ephesians, let's see, chapter 2. I want you to be able to see verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Now I want you to do what I usually get my kids on Thursday to do during release time. When I leave the word out, you fill the word in. Okay? Here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. You see, your very beginnings were marked by grace 110%. You were saved solely by the grace of God. But it doesn't stop there. Go over to chapter 4 and look at verse 7. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led captive a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. In other words, it's grace from beginning to end. Your start was based on grace, and you continue on that very same basis, the work of grace in your life. Therefore, when I go on and talk about your gifts, there's none of you that can lift your head high and stick your chest out and go, my, 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 how beneficial I am for this sweet little old church. Paul understood this to the depth of no one else. If you're looking at Ephesians 3, let me show you this. Look at verse 1. Paul writes, Ephesians 3, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's what? Grace, which was given to me for you. Look down in verse 7. Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's what? Grace 
which was given to me according to the working of His power, to me, in verse 8, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. Now, there's two ways that you can look at that. You can look after Paul's conversion and go, man, that is some more guy. He's out there literally preaching the gospel, getting beat, getting up the next morning and preaching the gospel, getting beat, getting arrested, getting out of prison, preaching the gospel, getting beat. What a guy. And Paul goes, you're looking at the man and he ought to be looking at the grace. But if you look at Paul before his conversion, you'll begin to understand grace because what was he doing before he was saved? He's killing Christians. And that's the part that the Apostle Paul wants you to see. You don't understand who I was before I met Jesus. I said that to somebody yesterday. If some people knew I was preaching, they'd shake their head. And the only thing that I could do is apologize to them and go, it's just grace. It's just grace. If you ever get away from that understanding, you have gotten out of bounds and you don't understand your gift, nor can you use it effectively. We are not an impressive people, but we have an impressive Savior. And He is the one through the work of the Spirit who has gifted everyone in the building for the good of the whole. Think about your families. John was a surprise. Not so pleasant for my wife, but very pleasant for me. And I remember all those years looking up in that van rearview mirror, that little minivan, and seeing that little boy's face in that back seat who wasn't even supposed to be there. And you don't think he's a significant part of the whole of my family? And you parents look back there and you see those little faces. Some of them you've adopted and some of them God's given to you and some of them by just different ways. And you look back in that mirror, can you think any other way than what a significant role they are to our whole family. We would have been lost without them. You do realize that's how God views His church. He sees Miss Burma's face and he sees Mr. Eddie's face and he sees these little boys' faces. He sees these babies' faces that just walked out. Do you not understand that he sees all those faces and he sees they don't even realize how important they are for the entire body as a part of my family, as a part of the children of God. Each and every one of them, they're all significant in his sight. So if you understand grace and why you're here, and how you're here, then you can understand your gift, and you'll lay hold of your gift. Now, I don't have time to preach all the way through it, because I'm, you know, I'm on a schedule. But go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because Paul explains it there better than anything else. We'll run right back to Romans, and I'll finish as far as giftedness goes. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm just going to read through a few verses, and if... During your quiet time this week, if you want to understand giftedness, Paul lays it out in great detail in chapter 12. But I want you to notice when you do read 12 this week that you count the number of times he references the Holy Spirit. Because it is the Spirit in you who gave you that gift and it's the Spirit in you who's working that gift. Now watch this, 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, that's what I love about 1 Corinthians. Paul's clear, this is what I want to talk about. I don't want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, 
you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Which means your very conversion is a product of grace in the Spirit. But watch this, verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministry, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works, notice, all things in all people. So God's done a work in you and it's necessary for me as a pastor to mature in this body. God's done a work in me. It's necessary for me to function properly so you can mature as a part of this body. Notice what he says in verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. He made us one and He made us necessary. Verse 8, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, another the word of knowledge through the Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the Spirit. Verse 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as the Father wills. It's a work of God. It's accomplished by the Spirit. It's based on grace, but He's done it in you. He has done it in you. And you go, I don't even know what my gift is. Well, I'm sorry, but like I was in my early 40s before I realized. And most of you are not there yet. Y'all do realize when you asked me to fill into this pulpit, I was going to the mission field. I had bought plane tickets. And the Lord's shaking his head going, that boy, if I dropped him off at his mailbox, I don't think he could find his own way home. It takes a while. But if you'll faithfully lay hold of whatever's in front of you, you will figure it out. I think I shared that with you last week. The first phone call I ever got as a converted man was, will you, lead, or will you teach a Sunday school class? And I'd already told the Lord it was going to be yes, whatever it was. And so I learned the Bible as I taught the Bible. That is absolutely frightening. If I have anything to do with it, that'll never happen here. But you get the picture. And it wasn't until I was in my early 40s before I figured this thing out. And I went, oh, this is what you've been doing all along. It's like, nice, kid. Glad you figured that out. So don't beat yourself up. Don't worry about taking tests. Those are silly if you see something in front of you, grab hold of it with both hands. It doesn't matter. I'll give you a, a brief list in just a second. But just lay hold of whatever it is with both hands and just assume this and you'll be correct. God is sovereignly doing something in my life. And I'm going to do it with my whole heart. Look with me at verse 6 and you'll see what I'm talking about. Romans 12, if I lost you, back in verse 6. Since we have gifts, see that? That differ according to, there's this word again, the grace, it's based on grace given to us. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If it's prophecy, 
according to the proportion of his faith. You see that phrase? I was going to leave it out because it's difficult. And then I figured it out and I was like, that's absolutely the middle necessary part for us to understand any of this. Because he goes on to say, if serving in his serving. And you're like, what does that mean? Well, that phrase, according to the proportion of his faith, applies to every one of these. And so let me ask you something, because that word is analogous. And analogous to your faith, lay hold of your gift and exercise it. How important to use your faith? You think about that. How important to you is your faith? And you go, well, Brother Joy, that's like, that's it. I mean, if I can't have anything else, I've got to have faith. And you'd be exactly right. I don't know of a possession that you have, spiritual possession, that you have more important than your faith. And he says, okay, in proportion to that, I want you to lay hold of serving and understanding your gift and your giftedness and use that in the church. There's a passage over in Peter, and let me ask you another question about your faith. How much do you work at your faith? And you're like, I don't. It's faith. You don't understand faith. No, he tells us not only are we given the gift of faith, but he says we ought to lay into our faith with everything that we are. If it's the most important thing to you, are you not going to apply all your attention to it? Now listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter 1, then I'll come back to gifts. 2 Peter says, now for this reason, applying all diligence in your faith, Supply moral excellence and your moral excellence, knowledge, to your knowledge, self-control, to your self-control, perseverance, to your perseverance, godliness, to your godliness, kindness, to your kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful to the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus. In other words, work hard at your faith. Don't neglect your faith. It's the most precious thing that you have. And when you go back to Romans 12, he says, according to the proportion of your faith, do what God has gifted you to do. And I encourage these men all the time, and thankfully i got a faithful bunch of men. If God's gifted you to teach, you better lay hold of that with your whole heart and take it seriously. But it doesn't matter what it is or how you serve, you ought to do it with every fiber of your being. Because it is literally the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life. Whatever it is, it's for our good and you ought to do it with your whole heart. So he goes back in verse 6. Since we have these gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if serving in his serving, if teaching in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Doesn't matter. And I just read a list of something you guys are wonderfully good at almost in every turn. He who shows mercy, do it with cheerfulness. He who leads, lead. He who exhorts, exhort. Be, compa- be passionate about these things and pursue these things with your whole heart. But again, I, I've got to go on. It's not just gifts. Let me turn the corner because I've got two more things. It's not just gifts that He wants to do through this Holy Spirit. He wants your attitude toward one another to be radically changed. And Paul's weaving these in so quickly, and so we'll cover them quickly. But look at Romans 12, verse 9. 
And if you get the first one, I think the rest of how these flow out, you'll get the rest of them. The first word of instruction that Paul gives to us is this. Let love be without hypocrisy. The word is literally genuine. As far as this body is concerned, let your love be genuine. Nobody's crying. wonder why that is. Let me read it one more time. Let love be without hypocrisy. Y'all doing that? I mean, through the Spirit of Christ, we can. But y'all are acting like y'all don't make the mistakes that I make. Y'all seem to be acting like y'all don't hug and smile and shake hands and go in the car and just start letting them have it. Y'all ever do that? You ever hug them and love them and then get home and just rail on them? The Lord's like, don't you dare do that. That's like instruction number one for the body of Christ. Let your love be genuine. What's worse than a hug and then they turn around and they gossip or they criticize or they make fun? What's worse than that? That ought to make us throw up. But we so easily do that. And the Lord's like, don't you dare do that. You let your love be genuine from the heart. And if it's not that way, go home and cry your eyes out because you're in a bad way. Especially among each other. I'll tell you a story. He's coming sometime. He says he is. He's my drug driver. He delivers drugs to the pharmacy. I'm sitting in the drug drugstore one day, and the black guy walks by me, and I reference it that just for cultural sensitivity. He said, "What you doing?" I said, "I'm reading my Bible." He said, "You couldn't be reading anything better." I said, "You a Christian?" He said, "You better believe I am." I said, "Tell me about it." He said, "All I can tell you is Jesus has changed my life." And so we talked for quite some time before we left. He's like mid-twenties, married, no kids yet. They live down in Coleman. Every time he comes in, he wants to talk about Jesus. And the other day, I had my back turned, and I didn't know he was there. I felt somebody peck on my shoulder, and I turned around, and he just grabbed me. And he just gave me this big old bear hug. He said, I'm so glad to see you. And I'm thinking, I saw you like two days ago. And then we started texting back and forth and phones blow up. He said, I really want to come to hear you preach. So I was like, brother, you got to drive like an hour and a half to do that. He said, I don't care. I got to hear you preach. And I'm thinking, boy, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> Let love be genuine. Doesn't matter where you are. You meet somebody that professes faith in Christ, hug them. They're your brother or your sister. Let your love be genuine. Let it be without hypocrisy. And the weird thing is, the closer we come, the more hypocrisy we allow to take place. Why is that? We think because we know each other's dirty little secrets and dirty little laundry that we could just talk about that. No, your love ought to grow. 
And it ought to become bigger and better and stronger than whatever's going on in our brother's and sister's life. I told our elders just a few weeks ago, don't you dare not love somebody in this body. I want you to love every single person in this body. And I said, and I know that there are some that are pretty difficult to love. It's really hard to love Chris Hancock. <laughs> and y'all know exactly why I said his name. I've never heard a man speak about him in any other way than I like that guy. I really like him. But you won't hear everybody say that about me. And I'm not being humble. I'm just being honest. But y'all are a part of my family and I expect you to get over some of my deal and love me, and i got to get over some of y'all's deal, and love y'all. Let love be without hypocrisy. Look what he goes on to. Be devoted, in verse 10, to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Let me say a word about this, and I'll move quicker. When I was in Africa, Miss Burma, I heard a motorcycle. We're in church. Church has started, and the motorcycle came through the doors, Parked the motorcycle in the back, back there in the back row. Got off the motorcycle. It was an elderly man, walked up front, sat down, and we were already going out singing and those sort of stuff. And I was just, are you kidding me? And one of the men of the church said, listen. He said, I know it never happened over there, but he said, we respect our elders so much. We don't care what they do. We would never say anything to them. And I'm thinking, if y'all are older, y'all just need to move on to Africa because they're going to treat you like kings and queens. It don't matter what you do. But the word is we ought to treat everybody in the house that way. Please don't drive your motorcycle in here next week. We ought to have profound honor for one another. Profound. And really honor one another and give preference to one another. That's what we're called to do as the body of Christ. Verse 13, you nail it every time, contributing to the needs of the saints. I can't even speak about that. You guys do so well at that. Practicing hospitality, keep your door unlocked and open for anyone. Thank you, almost all of you do that. And the last thing I want to mention before we bring these men up here and lay hands on them, not only does the gospel change our giftedness, not only does the gospel change how we treat one another, but the gospel changes how we are toward our faith itself. Look at the second part of verse 9. Let me lay down on this first part. I want you to hate. Yes, I said that. I want you to hate what is evil. And the first thought that probably comes to your mind is, well, I hate abortion. Well, I'm glad. But that's easy to hate. I want you to learn to hate the things in your own life that dishonor the Lord. All those little desires in your heart that you hide that are not pleasing. All those little things that you say and you do that dishonor the Lord. I want you to learn to hate those things. Those are a lot harder to hate. It's easy to hate what other people do. It is hard to hate the things that you do that dishonor God. And if you will ask the Lord to teach you to have a godly hate for your sin, you'll grow. Because it's your sin that's hindering your growth. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. When you find that in your life that pleases the Lord, do it two times, do it three times, do it with all your heart. Verse 11, don't get lazy. 
I don't know a carol that's ever been born that hates that word, that doesn't hate that word. We hate to be referred to as lazy. And it is ungodly to be lazy. Notice what he says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. And the last word, devoted to prayer. Absolutely devoted to prayer. And I'll close you with this thought, and will they bring these men up here. What, what do you do when you get a day off? I mean, like surprise. For some strange reason, you're getting tomorrow off. What are you going to do? I'll tell you what I would do, just gut honestly. I'll be outside. I will not be inside. I don't like inside. I like outside. You're like, what will you be doing? Anything, as long as I'm outside. I'll probably be working. I love working around our house. I love working around the farm. I love working in our trees, working in our plant. I just like that. That is fishing and hunting. I like it. I like to be out there with Paige, but I don't like to talk. I just like to quietly be out there working because you can see the fruits of your labor. I really enjoy that. What do you like to do? Well, let me give you something that you should do, and it's something that you should be known for. You see, I should not be known for those things. I should be known as someone who is absolutely devoted to prayer. Devoted. So if I surprise gave you a day off tomorrow and say, you know, I called your boss and he said you could have it, so I talked him into it, and so you've got it, what, what are you going to do? As the children of God, one of the primary things you should do is just be absolutely devoted to prayer. You should get up and go, oh boy, it's not going to be five minutes today. It's not going to be ten. I think I'm going to lay into this. And I'm going to be hours talking to the Lord. I'm going to spend hours praying to the Lord. That's who we're called to be. We're supposed to be people that are absolutely devoted to prayer. Paige and I are at the age where we wake up in the middle of the night. And I know some of y'all already do this. I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm thinking automatically about what I'm doing the next day. You know what she does? Praise. I was like, ah, my wife. She's always convicting me. Because she was mad that when she starts praying, she falls back to sleep. I was mad because I never fall back to sleep because I'm worried about what's about to take place when the sun comes up. We ought to be people that's devoted to prayer. Hey, I'm in the car. Let me turn the radio off. I've got time to pray. Hey, the kids fell asleep. Miracle of all miracles. I've got time to pray. We need to be people who are absolutely devoted to prayer. That, guys, is what true worship is all about. Now, let's pray.